I'm Helen Duran, and you're listening to Tell Craig Your Story podcast. Hi guys, Craig here. Welcome to another edition of the podcast, Tell Craig Your Story. Today we'll be speaking to Helen Doran. Now Helen is born in London, England. She is the founder and CEO of Helen Doran Early Education. She is world-renowned for her Helen Doran methodology of education. And she has won some prestigious awards, uh, the Best Educational Franchise and the Global Franchise Award. She currently has over 1,100 learning centers in 38 different countries. And over 3 million students have enrolled with Helen Doran Education around the world. Now, if you're wanting to be a franchisee of Helen Doran, then please go to the website www.helendoran.com and I would also like to give a shout out to my center, the Helen Doran in Pujong in Shanghai. We have an amazing team there led by our CEO Shirley Zhang. I'm the manager of the foreign teachers. Uh, we have an amazing team. Uh, we also have the option of online courses uh, with our Panglish English. We also have interactive classes. We have live classes. Uh, so please give us a call to organize a demo. If you want your child to get ahead in school, then I recommend that you sign up to our Pujong Center in Shanghai. But before we go, please go to our website. We are at Podbean. Tell Craig your story at podbean.com. We are on all the social medias. We are on VK for our Russian listeners and WeChat for our Chinese listeners at Tell Craig Your Story. And we also have a link tree there which tells you where Tell Craig Your Story podcast is streaming. We are on all the major podcast streaming services. I'd also like to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Malvina Things. Visit their website, www.malvinathings.com. All right, here we go. This is my chat with Helen Doran on Tell Craig Your Story podcast. Hi, Helen. How are you going today? 
Okay, fine. Thank you. Nice to be here. Thank you very much for your time. I know you're an extremely busy lady. So first off, how are you coping in the pandemic and how's your family doing? Have you had to cancel anything in this sort of period? Well, well, I'm doing fine. I've got no idea if I've had had the illness or not. Whoever knows. Our HR lady got told she was tested positive today. She does not have a symptom. Oh, no. It's not in. It happens, you know. Yeah. Uh, we were actually our business, our family's fine. Yes. Uh, although my son lives in Korea. One of my sons lives in Korea. And I haven't seen him since February. Not him, not his wife, not the children, nothing. You know, that's the big problem. Yeah. Business, not easy because education was the was the most affected. Yes. I have a thousand one hundred centers worldwide and they were all closed. Yes. This means income of our franchisees, this means our income at head office, this means parents having their children's education disrupted. We immediately, within one month, managed to put nearly all of our courses online. We created interactive PowerPoints. We got them up there, worked around the clock to get them up there so that our teachers who are working from home to do the temporary online solution that we put up would have everything needed. We got it going. But, you know, it's, it's not like being in person. Yes, even, absolutely. Even the teens, even our teens, who I was, I was expecting to say, yeah, we really like doing it online, they still want to get back in person because there's nothing like the centres. They love yes. the interaction. It's we, we, We're human animals. You know, we, we like communication. We like to be together. Yes. I don't really believe in these screen solutions. They're, they're temporary. That's, that's or if right. they are screen solutions, they have to be extremely gamified. So yes. in order for it to really be engrossing. But what, what we put together is, is a very human business. It's teachers yes. playing with kids and kids loving coming every week to be with the teacher, to be with their peers. And the second all that turns into a computer, well, they're okay. They can learn, they can do, but everyone wants to get back in that center, which has happened mainly yes. worldwide. But yes. yet again, last week, the Israeli government closed us down. Oh, really? Yeah, the, we're, all, we're all in lockdown at the moment, except right. uh, private businesses can still work. At the right. at present. Well, let's hope that it all change better and we can all go back to schools and start teaching as normal like we did. But yeah. uh, don't you think that's an interesting thing? Like we took the online thing for granted. I mean, it's always been there, but we never sort of used it. And then all of a sudden the pandemic happened and it was like, okay, we've got a plan B, right? We didn't, yeah, but we didn't have any choice. It's like online yes. dating. Would you rather yes. date something? <laughs> Online or meet them in person? What would you rather do? You know, I mean, so, you know, it's nice to talk online, but you'd much rather be in person. It's the same with the classes. You can run, you can do, you can touch, you can interact. It's it's a completely different thing. That's right. And we're we're doing exactly the same thing with our, our centers in China. And at the end of my class, the kids are going, Oh, Craig, we miss you. When are you coming back? You know, <laughs> so, you know, it's all well and good to see them. And yeah, so we're, we're working, uh, st- we're working online as well. So we, we, we do have classes going back, you know, as normal, which is great, but we still are doing the online to sort of keep it, keep it going. And there's still some f- families and parents that are still a little bit concerned about the sort of the virus. So 
you know, we're giving him that option. So, yeah, like I said, it, it's good that, you know, I can come back and see family. But the, like you said before, the whole interaction is like, oh, I miss it, you know. <laughs> yeah, let's go back to where you grew up. So I do believe that you were born in in London, England. Is that correct? Correct. And were you in the city or was it like in a county? Uh, London, as you probably know, was a whole load of small villages that sort of grew and got stuck together. Yes. So I'm in an area which is called, well, actually, I'm not sure what it's called. It's between a few areas. Yes. It's somewhere between Hampstead and Cricklewood. Um, right. And it's in northwest London. I did go to school in the city for a while. But then right. moved. It's not called Central London, but it's definitely not on the outskirts. It's right. It's London itself. I grew up in a reasonable area, nice yeah. house, nice garden, middle yes. class family, one yes. sister, one right. dog, one cat. You know, it's <laughs> where I grew up. Is it very stand? And and tell me, did your mum or dad uh, were they like in teaching or education as well? My mum became a teacher when I was a teenager. My mum was a housewife until my parents got divorced. My father was the businessman. And my mum was the the housewife. When my father left, she went to teaching, which is something she'd always wanted to do. But I can't say I grew up seeing my mother as a teacher. Because I was practically out of the house when she became a teacher. But it's in my blood. I mean, my father was the businessman, my mother the teacher, and actually I'm in the business of teaching today. <laughs> My grandfather had a lighter factory, uh, lighter company called Colibri, right. Colibri of London. It was very well known in its days, for, especially for onyx table lighters, but then they went, of course, to the pocket lighters like everybody else. Right. Yeah, yeah. So uh, when did you sort of realize teaching was something that you were very, very interested in? Like, I'm sure, like, did you say, like, as a teenager, it was when? No, that was when I you sort never of... wanted to be a teacher. No. So what did you want to be when you were earlier? Oh, God. Once, at one point, I wanted to be an actress. Another point, I wanted to be an archaeologist. <laughs> Another yes. point, I wanted to be a lawyer. I don't think I really know what I wanted to be. I just went through life with the flow. I just let it flow. I was actually a scientist. Right. Primary school, I loved maths. In secondary school, I loved all the yeah. sciences. And when my parents got divorced a year or two later, they moved schools. And schools were using a different system of science. It was a, it was a completely new system that it was experimental. It wasn't actually very good. And they dropped it afterwards. But they managed to drop me in the middle. I couldn't follow their maths. I couldn't follow their science. I gave it up and went to the humanities, to the arts. Right. When I hit... A-levels, which is uh, around the age of 16, or just before I did A-levels, when I was, I was in my last two years of school, I was studying French, ancient history and economics, showing exactly that I didn't know what to do, but I was <laughs> trying every which way. Yes. And my teacher in French hated me. I don't know why. I never did anything to her, but she really didn't like me. I, she possibly didn't like many people. It possibly wasn't personal, <laughs> but she didn't really... She wasn't the encouraging type. Right. And she told me I would never be good at French. Well, I was going to prove her wrong. Some people would have curled up and died. Yes. I gritted my teeth and said, I'll show her. 
together with my friend, we went to France to one of these summer camps when we were 16. We got there and we were in this campus of people all there to learn French. And guess what? We were all speaking English together because we were all there to learn French. And I thought, oh, God, this is a disaster. How am I ever going to learn French? Yes. Uh, there are lessons, but I could be learning lessons anywhere. I want to speak to French people. Yes. So I looked around the campus and found one French person. It was the sports teacher. I said, he's mine. <laughs> and he was. <laughs> and we started going out. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm getting this one. I've got to learn French. We started going out. Actually, we went out for five years after that. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I went back and got double A in my A-levels. I went to university to learn French because that's what I was good at. Yes. And when I got, and that's another strange story. When I was in England at the time, everyone wanted to go to Oxford or Cambridge. And I didn't because I didn't yeah. like the snob value in it. Right. I, wanted, I didn't want to do this snobby thing. So I didn't do the Ox, Oxbridge exams. Yes. But I filled in, there's a form with five, five universities you want to go to. And my first one was um, Brighton University. It was called the University of Sussex. And, and the second one was Reading. And there was da-da-da. Nottingham was number five or something. I don't remember exactly. And they, they interview with you and they send you an offer. Grades you've got to get. Or they, re, or they reject you. I got very good offers from all of them. But I rejected my first university, which everyone wanted to get into. And to this day, when I think back, I don't understand why. <laughs> I rejected it because I didn't like the building. It seemed like, very inhuman. Yeah. And I didn't like the guy who interviewed me. In those days, with our lingo, we called it, I called him pseudo. He didn't yeah. seem real to me. Right. And I went to Reading University because it was red brick, had a beautiful tree with grass in front of it. And I really liked the guy who interviewed me. And I think right. that's because I'm mad. Everyone wanted to go to, to be at the sea <laughs> by Brighton. Everyone, yes. I think back at all my friends that went. Why did I turn it down? Well, it turns out to have been an amazing career move for me. Because yes. little did I know that Reading was, was a number one university for linguistic science. I'd never heard of linguistic science. Some very clever kids did. They had heard of it. And they actually applied and went to Reading for linguistic science. I went for French. For the first two trimesters, we had to do three subjects. And I went to the lectures. When I heard the lecture on linguistic science, my jaw dropped to the ground. Yes. And I said, wow, this is it. This is what, this is what I want to do. So I, I studied linguistics for two trimesters and, couldn't, and with English, English, French and Linguistic science. Link Reading was one of the two best universities in the UK. It was. Oh. It was that in Edinburgh. They were the best in the world. We had the best people. Head of department, David Crystal. You know, we, we had the best. Yes. The best of the best were working there. We were right at the spear point, right at the front of everything that was happening in linguistics. And it was an exciting time. Still, I didn't know what I wanted to do with linguistics. Right. And I... When I left uh, the university, I got a job straight away as, a, as an English teacher, Poitiers University in France. I worked there for a year, but at the same time, in the holidays and various moments and over weekends, 
I was studying uh, in residence to become a teacher of the transcendental meditation technique. Wow. So I did one year there. And then I'd had this crazy intuition. But it was crazy. Because I was actually engaged to a different French person at this time. I was engaged to be married. And I had this intuition that I should go to Israel. And I'd never been. And I should well get. I was going to marry an Israeli teacher of transcendental meditation. It was just this thought that kept bubbling up, and I thought, is this something I want to do? Is this something I'm talking myself into? Is it an intuition? What is it? Whatever it is, I'm going to check it out. So I went to Israel to check it out. I met my present husband. I went back to fix my suitcases and immigrate, and we were married in weeks. We hadn't even started going out then at the time. And I've been here ever since. And that's how I got to Israel of all places. That is an amazing story. And just just goes to show that you've just taken a chance, you know. You you thought of something. This is what I want to do. And and look what's happened. I didn't want to do it. Yeah, right. It's coming to me that I ought to be doing it. And I didn't know why. And I had this very innate feeling. I went to the Western Wall. I'd never been I'd never been to Israel before. And I put a note in it and it said, Dear God, I know something's going to happen. I had this very strong feeling. I don't know what it is, but can it happen quickly so I can get on with things? Yes. <laughs> I had this feeling and I didn't know what it was about. Yes. And we moved to this village. We have a village at the top of a mountain, the top yes. of a hill. There aren't any real mountains in Israel. We've got one mountain. And everyone goes crazy and skis on it in winter. But right. it's, it's, a, it's a tallish hill. And it's, I actually oversee the Sea of Galilee. It's beautiful. Wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. So we went moved up there. It's a village of people that do transcendental meditation. Yes. Uh, it isn't so much anymore, but we have a lot of really cool people that have moved in. And it's full and everyone's scrambling to get houses there because it's turned into <laughs> such a lovely place. Wow. But this I'm talking about 40 years ago now. Yes. Into this God-forsaken place, which didn't even have electricity yet at the top of this hill. Yes. I had three children, one after the other. And when my youngest was six days old, just six days old, I took my oldest, took my oldest to learn violin by the Suzuki method. Right. Now, I wanted to talk to you about this. Actually, before we go into that, um, how is your French, by the way? Now. Very good. Yes, you still yeah. you've still kept it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sure, and I still speak to my French people, French friends. Uh, I did lose it to a certain degree. I think I spoke French almost as well as English, yes. and it's a little bit rusty, but of course it's still there. Yeah, right. And tell us what was it like fitting into Israel after you know coming from England and then going to France, and then was it a, just a natural? Was it easy to fit into that that kind of country? Because very different culture. Yeah, yes. very, very different yeah. culture. Yes, but you found it very easy to sort of fit into the, the uh, sort of culture and the lifestyle? Well, yes and no. There were days and there were moments. And even if I think about it today, probably my best friends aren't the, the ones who are native Israel born. But I do have good friends from there. But there is, Israel is a country of immigrants. Yes. And there are people from such different cultures, people who've come People who've come from Europe, people who've come from South America, people who've come from North America, people who've come from Australia. Yeah, right. 
it's a melting pot. It's really a melting pot of nations. Yeah. So how do you fit in? Like everyone else fits in, they they find they find what's good for them and they manage. It isn't a culture. Yeah. It's many, many, many different cultures. But yeah. then it gets smoothed out when the children get to, to school, but they still carry their backgrounds with them. So it takes yeah. a few generations really to smooth out these differences, which is which they don't really need smoothing out. It's really nice to have all these differences. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and you can learn so many interesting things about, about the, their lifestyle and culture. I think it's just great. So let's talk about this violin lesson. And Dr. Suzuki, is that is it that? Dr. Dr. Suzuki, he's Japan. He was Japanese. He died yes. about 10 years ago. He was actually a physician, doctor, but he yes. loved playing the violin. They, in his book, he says he even played with Albert Einstein, who was also a violinist. Oh, right. Wow. He there loved violin. And, some and then at some point, somebody asked if he could teach really young kids violin. And he thought about it, and he came up with a methodology. He said, you know, if music is a language, and he said, how do children learn language? He said, well, they learn language through repeated background hearing. Yeah. They hear again and again and again the language. And nobody speaks to them like we're doing now. No one will say, okay, let's get the cup. Let's do this. Come and sit over here. What can we they, 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 you speak motherese to kids, and it's natural in every culture. You speak slower, you speak at a higher pitch, and you emphasize things. Look at the cup! Wow! Aren't you wonderful? No one says, go, go bring me the cup. No one say that to a baby. You, know? <laughs> <Of course. laughs> you intuitively know that you're actually teaching language, so you slow it down. And when the kid actually gives, does it or gives verbal feedback, the mother or the father or the caretaker go, wow, intuitively, not deliberately. Yeah. Intuitively, that's what they'll do. And the kid will think, wow, I did that really well. Do you want to see me do that again? So positive reinforcement, giving positive feeling to the kids for doing, for doing something right by saying a word or by actually showing understanding. And background hearing again and again of the same things is how children learn their mother tongue and that's how dr suzuki said i will teach the violin yes he says i will teach the violin by putting the music in the background we will guide the children's hands up and down and when they get it right we'll say very good and that's what he did and i read all the books on doctors uh, on dr suzuki on the teacher's shelf on on, on the violin teacher's shelf yeah. and some were about the method and some were about early development. And I thought, well, this is great. We should be teaching language like this. I'd been in many countries. I'd seen both in France, especially France and Israel, where I'd see that nobody was speaking English well. Right. Not that they weren't motivated. Well, in France, they weren't so motivated at the time. They are today. <laughs> yes. so, when, I, when I was a kid, French and English had an equal standing in, the, in Europe. They were right. both the official languages of Europe. Yes. So the French did not learn, want to learn English. They saw mm -hmm. it as a rival language. Yes. If you walked in Paris, I remember my 15-year-old self walking in Paris and trying to make myself understood in French or English and people just turning their backs on me and walking away, not being very <laughs> helpful. Yes. And, you know, I got quite hungry like that. 
So it was a bit difficult. But here, um, I could see that they weren't learning language properly. And why? Because they were starting too late and they didn't know how to teach it anyhow. When I say too late, the, the age, all the research, at least of the last 40 years or so, uh, even longer, has shown that you, in order to learn a language, grammar and accent, but especially grammar, yes. it needs to be learned as a mother tongue before the age of seven. Right. That's the time when also the brain is growing. And the brain, the physical brain grows until the age of seven and the connections within the brain are made during that time. A connection is between the, the brain, the brain cells. It's actually not a connection. They don't actually touch. It's a, it's, a, it's a chemical. It's a chemical that passes between the axons, I think they're called, right. and, and moves it between the two different cells. So you can... The more experiences you have, and experiences are done through seeing, hearing, touching, learning, the more experiences, the more complex a situation is, the more thinking you have to do, the more brain connections are made in the brain. Now, language is the most complex of functions a brain can do. It's yes. extremely complex. It works on the level of the phonetics, that's the pure sounds, or the phonics that you might have, or the phonology, that's the sound system of your particular language, the morphology, how words are put together. You know, some words are separated, lining, like in English, to the school, whereas another word to the school would be one word with a prefix and a suffix on it. Yes. The case system it may have. So the morphology of a system, the syntax of the system, which is the grammar more or less, the, the semantics, the meaning levels, and even beyond that. So all this is being learned simultaneously by, by the learner, even by a baby. And it's complex. But you know what? Babies are programmed to learn this. And you're programmed to do it up to the age of about seven. And they can do it superbly if given the language in a systematic manner that they will want to learn it in. It has to be systematic, has to be consistent. Yes. And if that's done, they will learn. So I went around and I said, you know what, I'd like to teach this. There must be somebody doing it. Yes. And in the pre-internet time, I went around with all the leads I had at the time from various books and things that I'd read. And contacted everybody. Nobody was doing it. Nearest yeah. I came to it was Sonny in Japan, who yes. would do had something, but it was extremely primitive. And they actually sent me very nicely what they had. It was it would have filled up half a half half a CD of what I have today. I mean, nothing, <laughs> nothing, nothing. Right. Not yes. even that quarter, maybe. Not yes. even a quarter. No, there was nothing. It was just a couple of songs. They they really nobody had anything. So I set about doing the course, the, the curriculum. I created, they were cassettes in those days. I plonked on the piano, sang, told stories, read words, and advertised the children, groups of children aged one to six, because I wanted to experiment, who'd come and learn with me. I went around other villages in my area, found the children who wanted to do it. And there was every two months, the children had to hear the CDs at home, well, sorry, cassettes at home while they were eating playing, going to sleep, whatever it was, had to play in the background. They didn't have to pay attention. But when they came, they knew the sounds. 
They didn't know the meaning yeah. level. But then that cake can learn so fast. You just do games and activities. You know this. You're a teacher. Yes. yes. You just give the meaning level of the sounds they've already absorbed. Yes. So it's very, very, very simple. Yeah. The thing is, uh, just talk and just listening to that again is that. I was a little bit skeptical at first. Like, it's like, okay, okay, let's teach a. There's a there's a course, Helen Doran. It's called BBS. Uh, it's the baby's course. You know what? We've got a six month old baby that, that wants to join the class in China, and it's like six months. I mean, how are we got how are we going to do this? So, but I did your teacher training, Helen Doran. And just listen to the the methodology, and you know what? You could see it slowly developing, just the way that they react, and it just and it just got better and better over time. So I definitely can see it now. But before, I was like a little bit of a doubter. I was like, how how does that all work? So. Yeah, sorry, continue continue what babies, you were talking about. Babies are sponges. If they hear it again yes. and again, if they act, they do. They'll work it out. They're little mini computers. They yes. are data analyzing the whole time. When you think about it, we don't speak by dividing words up. Words run into the other, but they work on frequency. They're actually analyzing the frequency of different of different runs of phonemes in order to in order to draw their own words they try to we make it much simpler for them in, in baby's best start and all our other courses because yes. we do divide it into words we have flashcards we have other things they hear words but a normal baby learning his mother tongue or two mother tongues if, if the child's in a bilingual household this baby is a data analyst yes that's what the babies are doing the whole time so put the baby there Looks like this glump sitting there who occasionally, occasionally smiles, occasionally pees, you know, but they are just taking it all in. And one day they open their mouth and it comes out and you go. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And just to see the, the, the reactions on their face, even when they can't speak as well, you mean, you know, that you show something or, and, and they react to it and it's just, okay. We're getting some words, you know, it's gradually. They want you. They want yeah. information. They want it the whole time. It's a survival yeah. skill. Getting yes. information is a survival skill. They want to be as clever as, they want to be out there. They want to get there. They want their brains to go. They, they intuitively know they want to learn, 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 learn. So we're very ambitious with our courses. They yes. really do take the baby, babies to a high level. I think they're probably brighter than the average mother tongue speaker of it because we're exposing them to this language in such a systematic manner yes. and uh, actually some of my grandchildren are trilingual right there you they've, go they've been brought up in trilingual environments you know you're also saying being a baby it's the best time to learn so so parents shouldn't have any doubt like just try it and and see you know what i mean do you know when i i get very frustrated when i hear parents say but why should i speak to him he doesn't speak yet. I think. Yes. How is he ever going to speak if you don't speak? Input equals output. I'll say it again. Input equals output. The more you put in, the more will come out. Research yeah. has shown the obvious, that the parents who read more, who speak more, who speak faster, who give more input to their kids, their kids understand and speak more. Surprise. Yeah, oh, that's yes, right. It's obvious. Yes. 
Yeah. And this kid can learn anything that age, any practically anything. Give them four, five, six languages. Go from Hellendron English and Hellendron German in our kindergartens. You know, in a few, we don't just have English learning centres today, math centres in various countries. Yes. But most of all, we have kindergartens. And for me, this was the culmination of my dream because I wanted a complete education for young children that would stretch them as far as possible and for parents to see what children can really do. And I think this is very important. And the most important thing is that the children always have fun. It's never an effort. It's never something that they will make them hate learning. The whole yeah. thing is one big game. For example, in our kindergartens, we have a one. We have a four-year uh, syllabus of multilingual course. It's called multi music because it's the same song in seven different languages or same songs. There's a each each year has I don't know ten different songs, and they do it in seven different languages and with all the activities around it. So they learn these songs. So they have the basis of the phonics and grammar of yes. of of the major languages of the world in this course. So when they really want to go out and learn these languages in depth, it'll be there and they'll be able to speak it like a mother tongue. And this is very, very exciting. Of course, we also have science and maths and, and, and Ready, Steady, Move, which is our multilingual, what we just do it in English normally, movement program with English, Pilates, yoga, everything. So we have everything that goes all the way through. Well, I was going to ask about uh, your daughter because she's actually a singer. I know. I was going to ask about that, and because I hear it every single time I do a class, because I believe that you are Granny Fix. Is it, are you Granny Fix? <laughs> and, and my dear, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> oh, there it is. Oh. Yes, and your daughter is one of the ca characters as well, and I do believe that your son is the character. So it's all like a family sort of involvement. Well, Benayas, he actually, he's now the CEO of Helendoron Korea. Korea, yeah. But he also sings on all the teen ones. He's also a singer-songwriter. Wow. And I have seen some video of you. You had like a for all the leaders. They come to you sung the whole set of all the different songs of Helen Doran. Actually, that was in Prague. Twenty-five years celebration to the company. We did it in Prague. Ella, Ella, led, Ella did that, and and our musician Nico, who's written a lot of the songs. He was on. He played for us. Yeah. We we had a very big celebration. We had over a thousand teachers came to that. Right. Uh, obviously, we had all our master franchisees and our franchisees there, but also a lot of the teachers decided they wanted to come too. Right. It was a five, it was a four or five day celebration. It was really nice. Just a great, great way to get everybody together and sort of celebrate, you know. So the one thing I wanted to talk about with the, the singing, that was the one thing that I've learned over time is that the rhyming as well it's not just repetitive but when you're sort of talking as well it's sort of like in a rhyme so is that is that another another good we way to a lot of rhyme in a lot of our courses because yes. uh, actually research has shown that the children do a lot better in reading and phonics afterwards when they when it rhymes but children intuitively like rhyme and it also gives them a feeling, it gives them a feeling of childhood in, in English. I don't think you really know a language unless you had a childhood experience in that language. 
Yes. And this gives them the childhood experience of that language right from day one. Obviously, if they don't start at three months, they might start at one year, they might start at two years, they start, might start at three or four or five years. The earlier they start, the, the deeper and richer their vocabulary and their experience will be. So, uh, so the better it will be for them. Yeah, yes. but rhyming is very important. Yeah, yes, yeah. Granny Fig speaks only in rhyme. That's right, absolutely. And the other thing I wanted to ask too, like uh, I think we sort of skipped over it a little bit, but how you actually started Helen Doran, like started the actual business and and how you balanced a business with three kids as well. I mean, how did you sort of balance that? Like it's, it's very oh, well. difficult. I started working. I had a few groups and uh, they were aged one to six because I wouldn't take the seven-year-olds. I really wanted to see uh, how the one to six-year-olds did. And after the first year, parents were begging me to take the seven-year-olds, the 10-year-olds, the 12-year-olds. I said, this is ridiculous. 10 and 12 are learning in school. They said, yeah, but my six-year-old knows better. And I was just teaching spoken English, just spoken English at that time. And I said, okay, we've got a business here. And I was also getting phone calls from all over the country. People were hearing about it. Can you come here? Can you come? They said, no, I've got three young kids at home. Um, I go out twice a week, three times a week. My husband can cover for me then. But that's it. You know, I I, I don't want to work too much. I actually had a philosophy of being home with the kids. My kids all went from the age of a year. They were all in, in in preschool. It's a very Israeli structure. They're, they're very structured in Israel. They, from six months or a year, you can put the kids in. And right. then I was very much free, at least half a day to get things going. And yes. started the office up. I always, I'd come back at lunchtime, make sure they had food. Homework was being done if relevant. And put a babysitter on them and go back to work. I was working in the village. It was a right. two-minute walk from the house. You know, that's where we opened our offices. We were oh, there perfect. for the first 20 years until we built our own offices in an industrial park, yeah. Right. So when did it sort of started to develop to go internationally? Because I had to check, but and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but 40 different countries now worldwide, uh, like franchises? Yes, we're in 38 on? countries, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so it developed in Israel, and then, then how did it sort well, of first grow of all, from there? first years, I'd say the first 12 years or so, if not longer, I would have called myself an educational charity. I really wasn't making anything in the way of right. my own lessons. I was producing learning sets because yes. teachers needed another one or one in this direction, one for older, one for younger, one for this. And, and my husband would say, next year, do we see some profit, or are you going to do another learning set? And I'd go, obviously another learning set and this is how it would continue and then some of my teachers started going abroad to live and they wanted to take it there one or two of them suggested being agents and I found other agents and I'd come sit there do a teacher training course because we train our teachers they'd have to have a minimum of five days pass failed well done you passed uh, (laughs) a course and it's uh, often a, a, a very much a personality forming course because the teachers learn a lot about how to teach, learn a lot about themselves, learn a lot about relationships in general. And then I noticed that they'd work for a year or two and then they'd stop. And then what happens to the teachers? This is the agents. I'm talking about the agents. Yes. So what happens to the teachers? What happens to the students? That's not fair. It's not good for us. So I said, That's, they're stopping because they didn't have to pay for it. Right. 
They didn't have to pay for it. It was too uh, easy for them. So they did it. They did this one day. They'll do for the other. If they put money down, they'll think twice before they stop. So I went to my lawyer, worked on a whole system of how they pay royalties, how they pay for it, how they do to tie them in so that this would be an ongoing system, something that parents could rely on, something that I as a manufacturer could rely on. So it would be, it would be a reliable thing. And the first person I showed it to said, this is franchising. I said, no, it's not. And he said, yes, it is. And I said, no, it's not. And he said, yes, it is. I went and I checked and I'd reinvented the wheel. It was franchising. Yeah. Anyway, so I'd reinvented franchising. Once we were franchising, it worked because yeah. our franchisees had thought well and hard before coming in. They'd invested in it. This investment allowed the allowed them to work well, allowed us to work well with them, allowed us to create guidelines around it, and parents could sign their kids up from an early age and know they'd go all the way through and no one was going to drop out in the middle. So from that moment onwards, the business really took off. It needed the right business model. But my goal, although everybody needs money for businesses to work, my goal was, has always been educational. I want the best education for children, and, and that's what we're working on. We never stop. We have large development departments. We're constantly developing. Always new sets or upgraded sets are coming out. It's a completely new world to what it was once. Yeah, absolutely. And then it's gone from all four corners of the globe. It's in China, it's in Korea, it's in it's in Europe, it's in South America. You know, I, I get these tags from, uh, you, you know, Argentina and Brazil and other, you know, so it's really, really grown. So tell us about some of the places that you've been to to visit some of these franchises. Oh, wow. I've been to many, many countries over the years and I love going. In the old days when one could travel, yes. <laughs> I was, I, uh, I've been many times to China and many times to, to Korea, those right. are, uh, and Thailand, of course, where, where we work. Right. Uh, I love the countries there. I've been to Ecuador, that's the furthest afield, for my 60th wow. birthday party. Oh, wow. We went to the Galapagos. Yes. We went to wow, visit is... the birds and the animals and went diving there. I oh, took the whole family. We that's all went. so cool. Wow. It was, it was, and, of course, I did a lot of, we did a lot, lot of work and public relations when I was in Quito for our franchisees in Ecuador. Yes. Yeah. In fact, my kids did um, a video for my birthday. It's, if you look up Helen Duran's birthday, you'll see yes. this song called Mama, Mama, Ma. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a production, which is yeah. really cute. Yeah. Obviously, Europe. I was. I actually get yeah. started up really in Germany. Austria and Germany and Poland were my first countries that right. we really got going in. And Poland's our biggest country today, still yes. in terms right. of student numbers. So we, so, I think, so, mainly European based as such. That's where our biggest yeah. numbers are. But we are yes. growing in other directions as well. And tell us about your experiences in China. Obviously, this video will end up in China, but uh, tell us about your experiences in China. When was the first time you went there? Probably about 16 years ago was the first time. And what was your first impressions? Yeah. Well, what my first impressions? I don't know. The learning centers were enormous. Yes. I've never seen anything like it, you know, not like the European learning centers, which were quite cozy. Yes. With the brass, they were still homely. Here we had these very very amazing centers in shopping malls and when yeah. you arrive that 
there were 20 salespeople sitting in one room waiting for someone to walk through the door. Very different mentality, very oh, different yes. mentality. If you do that to a European, they turn around and run. But, you know, <laughs> that's, that's right are used to a different sales culture. They're used to different spaces. They're used to the way things are looked. They're far more demanding than Europeans, Koreans as well. And I think that they, they expect a lot. The uh, Chinese parents are very much the tiger moms. Yes. They're ambitious for their kids. They believe in their kids' ambitious ambitions. Yeah. And I would say that in Korea, they're the saber-toothed tiger moms. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I like that. Because yes. I like the fact that parents recognize that That's their right. children can do a lot and they're looking to, do, to get them to do it. What's important, what I don't like is when kids are pushed, when they have to do long hours doing homework and they, want, they really need to be sleeping and they're tired. And these are not, are not working on ch- brain-friendly techniques that the child will learn in a fun, easy manner. That's where it goes wrong. And that's why we set up this educational system to give parents who are ambitious for their children, who want to see their children grow. I, I used to say of my own children when they were little, because I worked on a lot of methodologies with them for early brain growth. I used to call them encyclopedic knowledge, uh, early maths, etc. I would say I was school-proofing my children. Right. No matter what happens to them in school, their brains are in place, their knowledge, they've got a basic understanding of the major stuff, and they'll they'll have to manage in school, but yes. they've been school proofed, I would say, and I really think that is true, true of yes. them today. My younger son is a doctor of physics. Right. He was the naughtiest child out in school. <laughs> he didn't do much except bring a pillow to school and sleep on his desk. But he picked himself <laughs> up afterwards, and somehow it was all there. And yeah, as I said, he said today's a doctor of physics, works in high tech. They all got a good education, so. Our business is going out and trying to make it stress-free. We want to start schools as well, not just kindergartens. And in fact, we're planning to do our first experimental classes in Korea from March. I did hear about that. So that's very, very exciting for Helen Dorham. And and sorry, I just wanted to get uh, back to China. The one thing that I, I noticed with the parents too, especially 25 million in Shanghai, and it's very competitive. So, yeah. like you were speaking before, I commend the the parents for coming in, and it's so competitive. But you know, trying to to be the best student and get a good education and trying to get into the universities. So, I really, really respect the, the parents that that come in, spend that extra time to come into the yes. classes and, yes. and bring their yes. their children in. And I thank you for recognizing us. And I think parents who come to us. They recognize the difference between us and anyone else teaching English. It's the yes. methodology, it's the content, yes. it's the musicality, it's the teachers, the way they're trained and the way they have a very set teacher guide that they're following so you can be sure that your child is getting the education that they need and there's the props and the downloads and everything is there for yes. it. It's a very systematic learning. And when you register a child at the age of six months, you know what they're going to be getting that week, that month, that year, two years later, five years later, and ten years later. You know what they're going to be getting. It's a Absolutely. tremendous advantage. And when a teacher leaves and another teacher comes, they just seamlessly move into the place that was there because yes. it's the system that's moving it forward. It's not dependent on what an individual teacher 
teachers. There's a whole system they're teaching. Yes. Yeah, I really agree. I think it's similar with career as well. Like where your son is at the moment, very, very competitive. Oh, and cool. I, don't know, I don't know the exact statistics, but committing suicide at an early age because of the pressures of finding a job and, and all that is like worse than having, again, having that opportunity to, to teach, get that opportunity to learn English, super important. So I do encourage all the, the parents that are listening to get on board and i say just give it a try give it a try come in and just do a demo and and just see see what it's like talk to the teacher ask him questions or ask her questions always available to answer any questions and we've tailored ourselves to to, we're tailing ourselves more and more to the needs of china as well this is very important you know it's very important to choose something which which your child will be happy you talked about child suicide before mm. and even teenage suicide i can't imagine how how awful that must be yes it must be the worst thing out and the purpose of life is the expansion of happiness yes. so the most important thing is happiness and i think that's something we set out to do with our learning is to make sure that it's a happy 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 experience exactly. because when the child comes out feeling successful He's motivated as well. Yes. And our children, we all the time give them positive feedback. And so they think, wow, I'm doing well. And then they're motivated to do better, and then they can. And then right. they're all of a sudden capable of things that they weren't capable of. That's this right. is the most yeah. important thing. Yeah, and it's, it's all about fun as well. Like If you're enjoying doing anything, you're going to do more of it, right? And you're going to want to keep doing it. So uh, that's, that's what it's all about. So we're really having a good time here and uh, really can't wait to get back to China. So going through the years now, Helen, uh, you've won numerous awards now and, and even even this year as well. Uh, yes. Best Educational Franchise, Global Franchise Award. That was in 2019. 2020 was the Global Franchise mentorship award so what what does this mean to you i mean it's very high praise yes yes well first of all it's lovely to get recognition yeah. it's not of incredibly important to me but i know it's important to my franchisees this is something that makes them feel very proud yeah. because our franchisees go into this business because they like education because education is important to them they they should get a lot back yes absolutely they, they, they need it. And, and who are the mentors? Head office is mentoring the, on the teacher level and on the business level. Our teachers are mentoring for parents and children. Our franchisees are mentoring also for sub-franchisees, etc. There's a whole network of mentorship. And it's important that the message doesn't get lost as it trickles down. So we have extensive training and supportive departments here on the business side in order for the mentorship to be good. And also with the best children's franchise out there, educational franchise out there, wow. Well, I think they're right. They they looked at the outreach, they looked at the content, they looked at everything. We are. I really think that what we do, nobody else does it. Because we started with an educational goal, not a financial one. And that's why we got this, the results that we did. Obviously, the finances have to be in order or the business falls through. But our goal was always to have the best educational product. 
Yeah. So, Helen, let's get close uh, to wrapping it up here. So, can you give me one example of a student that sort of stand out, you know, between all of them? I mean, I know you've taught so many t- uh, students, but is there is there one that, you know, you worked really hard for and it's like, you know, I'm really, really proud or, you know, or, or is oh, wow. there many? Oh, I'm sure there's many. many. But... You know, I haven't really taught for the last few years. Up to two years ago, I was still teaching. Right. But I was teaching teens already. Okay. And I remember recently one of my students, I remember when he he asked me what would who would be CEO of the organization when I leave. And I leave and I said, I don't know, maybe you. And he says, yeah, maybe, you know. But one of the, he was 11 at the time. Yeah, there's, there was a guy called Yaron in Israel many years ago in my very first learning center. It must have been around 1987, 1988. We're looking a long time ago. He stands out. <laughs> His father brought him along when he was 11. He couldn't read in English. He couldn't speak in English. And he was learning English in school. I looked at him. I didn't quite know what to do with him because, you know, his peers were ahead of him. So I said to his father, we'll do the following. He'll go into a group of his age group. He will have one private lesson a week as well. And he will be my helper with the younger four or five-year-olds, which means he's actually been learning alongside them but without feeling stupid yes so he was my helper and we did this for a year somewhere towards the end of that year we've been learning for about half a year and every time we did a private lesson he was doing much better he wouldn't bring his he never brought his homework I taught him to read and write already but he couldn't bring his homework I could see he also had learning disabilities I think it was the first time I really hit learning disabilities I didn't know what they were but This kid, clearly there was something wrong with him, and I had to break it down into certain chunks in order to get through to him. Yes. And one day he was ill, and I said, you know what, I'll come round to give you a private lesson in your home. So on my way home, I drove past his house, stopped, came in to give him his lesson, and I said, and this time you can't say you forgot your homework, you're at home. Bring me your homework. And he said, he went up the stairs, and he went into a different apartment in the block, and he came back. And I said, why did you have to go into a different apartment? And he said, because I have learning disabilities. They don't allow me to go to the English lesson. They take me out to do more Hebrew, more something else, more math. And I said, and how do they ever intend you to learn English? What will happen? He says, I'll just put me back in the middle and expect me to manage. And I said, I can't believe this. So I told the father (laughs) immediately, make them put him in the English class, which they did. Yes. And I got to meet his English teacher, and she really wasn't very inspiring. I'm not going to go into the details. Yes. But he learned with me for two years, and he was doing a lot better. He was really, he reached good level. I've met his father years later, and I was in a supermarket. I said to him, how's your aunt doing? And he said, oh, wow, he's actually getting married in a few weeks. And I said, well, that's wonderful. Uh, How did he ever do in English in school? And he told me, well, he actually did. They have a special system here. And he did one of the highest level systems. And I said, well, that's amazing. And he he got 89%. And I said, well, that's amazing too. And I said, said, well, who was his private teacher after me? And he said, no one. He did fine after you. And I said, and he said, his teacher tried to put him on a lower level end of school exam. But he turned around, insisted on being in the higher level and said, And this was probably five years after I'd stopped teaching him. He said to them, because Helen says I can. 
Oh, that's what well, he answered. Very well, moving. I was. I got invited yeah. to the wedding, but very, very moving. Oh, wow. Did very Did well. They... You know the changes that you can make. Yes. I don't ever remember saying that, but a teacher has a, a tremendous power. Yes. A teacher has a power almost of life and death over a child, and yes. when a teacher gives positive reinforcement and encourages. And tells the child they can and how good they are. They're making it. This is character forming. They're yeah. giving them the strength to go forward. That's so inspiring, it Helen. Is. That's amazing. That's an amazing story. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So, Helen, what does the future hold for Helen Doran in the oh, future after so after much. after the, so after the pandemic, tasks, including the USA? We want to go into other languages wow. and bilingualism. We want now, to expand our kindergartens. Now, well, I'm currently in Australia at the moment. One, have you been to Australia? And never, two, is never, never. Oh, no. I invite you to come to Australia, and I'll show you around. <laughs> that uh, USA sounds great. So, so what, what else for the future? Yeah, that's a plan. It hasn't happened yet, but we're working towards it. I'd love the kindergartens to expand worldwide. Yes. Could do in Australia if we go on the kindergarten model i'm planning for for the states but that will take a few years till i've tried the model out we want to get more centers worldwide you know and, and yes. continue the way we are and have wonderful teachers such as yourself you know it's very 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 exciting yeah so the, the outreach is incredible yeah, absolutely. And finally, Helen, is there anything that you want to uh, promote at the moment? Or is there like websites, social medias that you want to give a shout out to? Anybody you want to give a shout out to? There's a, a very good reading program we've got. It's online. It's called Helen Duron Read. It's got in-app purchases. I'm sure it'd be good for the Australians and the, and the guys in the States as well uh, to yeah. give their children reading practice and also give them the basis of reading. It's called Helen Duran Read. There are 32 interactive books there according to progressive level. Give them a lot of strength. Well, there's Helen Duran Radio for the oh, teens. Nice. Oh, nice. We have very radio nice. for teens, te tweens and teens. It's just called, actually, it's called Teen Buzz Radio today. So if you go on to Teen Buzz, you'll find our radio. You'll be able to listen to the radio channel. It's a lot of fun. Doesn't cost any money, of course. For the younger listeners, for free, there's the Helen Duran Song Club, and it's just on YouTube. Well, you don't have YouTube in uh, in in China, do you? But some well, countries may, do. Maybe if you can get the VPN to work. <laughs> I, it might be on other channels. It might be on Chinese channels. I can't remember. I honestly don't remember. I, I, we have we actually have a team in China. We yes. have a new general manager in China, and a wonderful gentleman called Andy To, who's now leading the. He's been with us for about a month and a half now. So this oh, is exciting. Nice. We're intending to expand in China. If you're out there and you want to start a franchise, if you want to become a teacher, contact us. Yes. Go join yes. us. We'd love it. What would you say to an inspiring teacher or like a franchisee or someone that wants to do what you've done? What, would, what advice would you give to them? Education isn't an easy business. Yes. And if you're gonna, if you've got your, if you're gonna be a teacher and you're self-employed teacher, well, know that what you've got is good for teaching. Know that you know how to teach well. That's a small-level business. If you want to run a franchise, make sure you've got proper content. You know, most of the franchises to this are in the world today, 
they work on marketing and their content is poor. But they've often got good marketing. I'd say our marketing is probably not as good as it should be, but we've got good content. Right. If you're going to be an educator, have something to really give the world. Don't just do yeah. it for the money. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. That's very, very good advice. Is there plans to do more of the online, like we were talking about before, or are you more passionate about the, you know, the interaction and the, you know, the live, Actually, the live feel? We are. We are obviously, as long as this pandemic's going on, we will be using our temporary online solution, our PowerPoint. But yeah. we intend to launch sometime in 2021, mm -hmm. towards the beginning, I hope, a special e-learning, completely right. different, not the on-learning, a completely different company, uh, in which we will, we will be doing e-learning through gamification based on all our present animations and doing and courses. So it'll be a completely different business, but uh, our students will be able to sign up for that in addition to what they're doing at present. That's a great addition, and you can be anywhere in the world, just log into a computer, and away you go. That's great. All right, Helen, I, I always finish off the end uh, of the show by just asking a couple of sort of uh, normal questions, just you know, to get to know you a little bit more. Are you ready? I think I am. I don't know what I'm oh. ready for, but there you go. Oh, all right. It's a music question. So can you tell us what are your three favorite musicians or artists, musical artists? Paul McCartney's music stands out the most. And, of course, I love my, my kids' music, Ella Duran oh. and Benaya Duran. And your Yes, your, your, your daughter is an amazing singer. Uh, I hear her a lot to, <laughs> as well. <laughs> They've got albums yes. and they've got their yes. music out there too. So it's Carlos, oh, sorry, Santana. Yes. Carlos Santana, probably a oh. favourite. <laughs> Classic, great guitarist. All the, all the, all the classics and, of course, yes. Eric Clapton. You know, all the, all the classics. And yes, the Cream, of course, of course I, I loved in their oh. days as well. Uh, final one. Who is your biggest inspiration or hero? I, I, rather than talk about a, pair, a person... I'd yes. like to talk about the people fighting for animal rights. I'm sure. a vegan. I'm a vegan. Sure. My children are vegan. My grandchildren are vegan. That means we don't eat any animal products. Uh, we think it's not good for the animals. They, billions of animals are tortured and live, in, and live in horrific conditions every year. And we call ourselves oh, yes. humane. We are not. The whole animal industry, uh, eating animals and the whole and dairy and meat is destroying our ecosystem. The fishing means that they, uh, means that within probably the next, uh, they say within the next 20 years, there won't be any fish left in the sea. Wow. The way they're trawling, the great deep, the great crawlers, let alone the big mammals that are getting murdered with every trawl that comes in. So my heroes are those who are doing the, who are looking in the animal shelters, looking after the animals, those fighting for animal rights, those fighting for, for the for the planet these are my heroes people yes. are doing things that i couldn't stomach because they're so hard to see but the people who are out there and fight for it every day these are my heroes yeah the people in the front line they, they don't get enough credit <laughs> yeah yeah I, I i urge every listener to look into i've, I've produced a vegan cookery book by the way we're going to put oh, it wow. online soon yeah yeah and with a Big explanation for why it's good for children to eat plant-based food, and well, how, there you go. how to get everything, all the nutrition that they need, and how to make sure they get it. So that that should be going online soon too. 
uh, although it can be ordered too. But uh, and now we're fighting to for animal liberation. That a great cause, absolutely. All right, Helen, thank you very much for your time. I really, really do appreciate it. Truly inspiring person. You've made millions and millions of people very, very happy in in the world. Three million people, uh, and maybe probably more now, uh, have learnt at Helen Doran. Um, there's over a thousand learning centres, and continue to do what you do best, and uh, make sure that you uh, come to China and uh, come and visit our centres. Really like to uh, show you around, and uh, yeah. It'd be a pleasure. Well, wherever you are when we meet up, if we can ever travel again. <laughs> yes, yes. 